Welcome to the Vortex Nation podcast, brought to you by lovers of hunting, shooting, public lands, the Second Amendment, and good food. All right, what is up, everybody? Little story here. When I was a kid, I was enamored with world records. I would I would go to the library in grade school. I'd check out the Guinness Book of World Records and and look at all sorts of wild and interesting things. I mean, stuff that really you shouldn't even care about, but you're just kind of like uh, curious about. I mean, longest fingernails, tallest person, whatever, like all sorts of wild stuff. I've got a buddy who actually, he entered his, uh, his I think his mom's, anyway, a dog's tongue into the Guinness Book of World Records, got the record for the longest dog tongue. So uh, yeah, officially measured. Well, you, you might be asking yourself, what the hell is this guy talking about? And we're talking about world records, and we're talking about a world record shot today of 4.4 miles, and we've got two of the people that were on the team that executed that that shot today here with us to talk us through how the heck you get an impact at 4.4 miles. Gentlemen, welcome. We've got Shepard Humphreys and Scott Austin joining us virtually and uh, actually, uh, Shepard, in the background, you actually have kind of the uh, picture of the rifle system, which is quite the contraption, I'm, I might yes. say. Isn't uh, it a space agey looking thing? <laughs> it, it is wild. It is wild, guys. So, uh, yeah, before we get too deep here, you know, definitely, you know, Shepard, maybe we'll start with you. I want to hear, you know, tell us about yourselves, a little bit of your backstory. I mean, you guys, both of you guys have a lot going on in the, in the long range world. You know, how you got into long range shooting, all that good stuff. Well, I started out my first interest in uh, rifles and I almost had to run away from home when I was 11 years old. I talked to my mom and she talked me out of it, but uh, she wouldn't let me have a 22 rifle. And so that was kind of, that was my start. And it was in the back hills of Tennessee when I finally got one at age 12 or so um, shooting, you know, walnuts and squirrels and that kind of thing in the backwoods. And then later on in life, I spent a few years in law, about 10 years in law enforcement and ended up being on a SWAT team and on the sniper team and the team leader. And, and I, thought that I knew a lot then. I was kind of cocky. And then I got out of law enforcement and got into uh, the free market. And uh, when we ended up starting the Jacksonville shooting experience, an entertainment uh, shooting experience business, then I started really getting interested in shooting. And I spent some time uh, competing uh, with pistols. And I, I wasn't very competitive. I'm not a I'm not a good athlete or I'm not a naturally good shooter and I don't have the greatest discipline. So I was never in the top half of the pack, uh, but I just love doing it. So I did pistols for a while. And then I got interested in uh, long range shooting and went to some matches, uh, not PRS, but it was, you know, something somewhat similar, uh, but the old man Eldon running them wouldn't let us use any of the electronic gizmos. And so we would have to use the the reticule in our, our scopes to range the target and, you know, kind of put our finger up in the wind and see what was happening there and watch the mirage and all the other stuff. And so no kestrels or anything like that. And that really ignited my passion. And so I think five or six years ago, Scott and I started up a kind of a little separate branch of the business uh, that we called Nomad Rifleman. And we take folks out and just have a fun time helping them get hits at a mile or sometimes beyond. Um, so that's kind of my background in shooting sports. Awesome. Awesome. And both you guys, you guys are based out of Wyoming, correct? Yes. It's a great yes, state. Very fortunate. Yes. Great state for hunting and shooting. Scott, what, uh, what about you, man? What, uh, what landed you at ultimately working on this shot? Similar to Shep. I was enamored with long range. My father came back from the military and uh, ended up taking a dime out of his pocket, walking down 100 yards down this little uh, coulee and uh, set a dime in a crack in a log and walked back and ended up shooting it. And like crack cocaine, I was hooked immediately. I'm like, I want to be able to do something like that. And uh from that point on, it was just a matter of reading Shooting Times magazine, which was based in my hometown of Peoria, Illinois. Um, I had a number of girls in the, the church youth group that I went to that their dads were writers for Shooting Times, and uh, I just absorbed it. And about 10 years ago, Shep asked me to come onto the team, and uh, we started Nomad Riflemen, and that was the point where I got introduced to a lot higher grade guns than I had been using 
And uh, from that point on, uh, I haven't looked back. I mean, I've been into shotgun shooting, tactical defense, you know, pistol, carbine, whatnot. All of those, I came to a plateau in my life and I'm like, okay, that was fun with long range, extended long range. Once you get comfortable, it's just a matter of moving your target further and you're in a whole new world. Yeah, I think that's what's so interesting here. You know, we're talking about world records, and and I think as as human beings, like we, for some reason, and maybe it's just curiosity, like I said before, but like we want to know about these extremes, and we also want to push our limits and and just kind of like you know test the limits of possible. And I think that's just like an innate human trait that is super interesting. And and you brought up you know oh you know reading magazines. You know, I, I was talking about reading the world record books as a kid. Well, I also read a lot of outdoor life as a kid, really any hunting or shooting magazine. Like, I mean, you know, my mom was probably super annoyed because they littered our house. And that's actually how I became aware of the shot that you guys made uh, was through an article from uh, Jon Snow in Outdoor Life. And I read about this. I'm like, oh, my God, this is super cool. Like, and uh, then, you know, got connected with you guys through him and, uh, you know, off uh, here we are. So it's just it's interesting how uh, just how that how that works and and how i guess you know media new and old you know is still effective and uh people can learn from it and you know bringing people together to you know chat about really interesting topics so how did and maybe like you said it was just a natural progression but uh tell me about when this idea came about like when were you guys like you know what i think we ought to try a shot like this you know, it's it started when we first got our our mile hits, uh, you know, five, six, whatever years ago. Th- that was kind of the spark. And then as we sh- through the Nomad Rifleman business, we had some clients who wanted to go further and further. And so a mile wasn't enough. And I think anyone who shoots long range gets this bug that, okay, well, we got that one. Now let's go further. And so, okay, well, now we need to go a mile and a quarter. Well, well, if we're going a mile and a quarter, we should probably have a little bit better rifle to go a little longer. Well, now that we have the rifle, we should probably go to a mile and a half. Well, now that we've done that, you know, two miles would be really neat. And well, now we have a really neat two mile rifle, our 375 shy tack Well, you know, how far can we take it? Could we take it to two and a half miles? And well, what about three miles? And so uh, a couple of years ago, we set the Wyoming state record at 3.06 miles with a 375 shy tack and so that was exciting and fun and we felt good about it and so scott and i and we're kind of other people on our team were like well hey you know what about the world record and i believe at that time not sure if the time we set the three mile record if it was already had been set at four i I think paul phillips and his team had done that and they just inspired us so much we're like well you know could we could we go a little further and then there's the gaming aspect of the whole thing. You know, if Paul Phillips got four miles and this guy is going out and competing and winning two mile matches, a way better shooter than I could ever dream of being, knows way more than I know. He's got Brian Litz is his buddy teammate, you know, for doing this stuff. Like you can't get any better than those guys. We thought, you know, if we went for a 4.1 mile shot, what if those guys are working on developing a system for going 4.2? So yeah, maybe we should go four and a quarter. So maybe we should go for 4.3. And, and we just kind of settled on uh 4.4 being a, a good place to go. And uh, yeah, that was our, let, let's just go for the gold and do this. So we had the system built up well, Scott did, he made all the decisions um, on building the, the rifle system. And, and uh, yeah, that was, that was kind of how we got into it. It sounds like a very a, a very slippery slope. <laughs> oh my gosh, it is yes, yes, it is. And I guess it's probably similar in with boats or golf clubs or whatever, but <laughs> oh, they have something new out. Well, we got to try that. <laughs> yes, the, the the rabbit hole runs deep. So, uh you were talking about the gear like uh like Shepard said, it sounds like you're you're the brains behind this contraption. A lot going on there. Some stuff that I didn't even know about until I kind of started diving, you know, a little bit deeper into your equipment setup. But can you explain the, uh, you know, what it took uh, from a gear perspective to execute the shot? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, about six, seven years ago at Shot Show, I ran into Ken Baker with Tacom HQ and his son Jacob, and uh, 
they had this device called a Charlie Tarak at the time. And what it basically did was gave you up to about 850 to 900 minutes of angle extra elevation to your scope um, by basically adjusting the image or refracting the image coming into the scope. And uh, in essence, fooling your scope into thinking it had more minutes of angle than it actually has. So it's just a mirror that angles the image. That was one aspect of the gun. And then another aspect was the fact that once this, this scope is canted so much, we've got a 390 minute of angle base built onto this by Scott Knoll from SNS gunsmithing out of Idaho. Basically, we needed those two components to come up with enough elevation to make the shot. Then we ran into one more problem, and that was the fact that the scope is looking into the barrel. And uh, well, of course, you can't look through a barrel to make a shot, so we needed some way to see around that. Well, TACOM HQ makes another device called the Delta Tarak, which is in essence a periscope, and it offsets the image 2.1 inches around the barrel to make that shot. Unbelievable. And, and I do I do have, have to ask the question, uh, which, which optic did you select to uh, execute the shot? We have the Razor 6 to 36, uh, the new Gen 3, and we absolutely love it. Awesome. Awesome. That's so cool. Yeah. You know, I, I was reading that article out of interest, you know, just because I was like, oh, it's a cool article, man, world record. And I was like, oh, son of a bee sting. Like, this is awesome. Like, they chose our <laughs> optic. Like, and so uh, it was just like, it was super cool. And, and it's just so, um, you know, I guess, uh, you, you know, we're excited about it because it's like, it's really neat for us to see things that we build here, you know, for the application in this instance, you know, for long range precision type stuff or ELR stuff like you guys are doing. And uh, to see it like at work in the real world, you know, doing such such big things. So it's like we're excited about it. It's very complimentary. And, and it was just it was really neat for us to see that. So thank you. Uh, thanks for choosing Vortex. But um, yeah, thanks just, for making great products. We've been using your Vipers for many years uh, because they had that awesome Christmas tree reticule. And we needed that for ranging at the matches I was talking about. And then we stepped up to the razor. And then, uh, yeah, we, we talked to Seamus about uh getting the, uh, the the newest, latest, greatest, best one, and uh, very glad we did. And, and when Scott was deciding on that, it, it wasn't like, well, maybe we can get a better deal on this than something else. It was, what scope do we really, truly want? Because this is kind of a big deal, and we need the best we can find. And yeah, that's the one we landed on. Yeah, this yeah, is this absolutely. is something where, you know, like all the stuff that you have here, like you're doing a very specific thing you, you kind of need the best tool for the job you know all the way around and yeah like that rail it's like you know like i think about you know i don't, I don't do long range shooting like you you guys do but you know I, I i hunt a fair amount like i'm always interested in you know extending my effective range or you know at least being a better marksman so you know you know maybe i'm not going to shoot a deer at a thousand yards but you know it's nice to practice at those distances occasionally so you can execute you know three four five hundred yard shots something like that and you hear guys talk about like, oh, I've got a, a 20 MOA rail, a 30 MOA rail. Uh, that that's a lot of cant in that rail there. I mean, how many? How many? Yeah. What what was that again? That's uh 390 minutes of angle in that rail. Yeah, that's a lot of. Uh, it's basically on a hill. Like as I'm looking at it right now, like you've you've put it on a hill. Like <laughs> yeah. that is just unbelievable. So. And then the rifle itself, what, what cartridge did you select for it then? We're using a 416 Barrett. And uh, this was actually a recommendation from Frank Green at Bartline Barrels. And uh, he was uh, generous enough to send us about a page and a half email, giving us all kinds of tips um, to be able to make the shot. And uh, one of the biggest tips was you need something very large to be able to see dust signature. And we had, you know, that was one of those minor lines that he just threw in there that I think both of us wish we would have given a whole lot more credit to exactly what he said. And Shep's going to share a little bit about that later, about how we were able to actually walk our shots in, because it was very rare that we would ever see a dust signature. Wow. Wow. And how big, how big a pill are you pushing through that thing then? Uh, it's a 422 grain cutting edge MTAC. Gotcha. And that, so, and then that is a, uh, that's a lathe turned bullet, right? It is. Yep. It is monolithic. It's all copper. 
Very cool. Um, and, and this is one of the areas that, that, you know, some of the naysayers will say, well, you should have chose something a little bit longer, a little bit heavier. And to our gunsmith's credit, he's done a good bit of testing out past, oh, 3,500, 4,000 yards. And he said, you really need that to continue to stay stable after it goes subsonic. And his son, who's a mathematician in his own right, he ran the numbers and said, you want to go about 420 grains. And we simply took his advice because he had already been there and done that. And again, this is kind of the, you know, standing on shoulders of other guys and gals who have been there and done that. Uh, we weren't going to reinvent the wheel, trusted this guy to make that decision and went with it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I could see how, you know, all of that is is super important. Yeah, by the time that bullet is getting there, it's way beyond transonic, you know. Yeah. It, I mean, and, and uh, yeah, that stability and all that stuff that comes into play is just like, I don't know, there's just so much going on there. So, well, and then, Shepard, so, yeah, what what went into, like, we've talked a little bit about the gear, and I'm sure we'll talk maybe even more about the gear down the road, but, like, what went into setting up for the shot? Like, how do you even, what are you looking for to, like, from a landscape perspective to be like, yeah, this is what we need to find, that's a long way to shoot, yeah. And, you know, a big part of it is, is something we learned when we were shooting at three miles. We learned because we were looking for mirage, which is how, you know, if you're shooting at a mile or two, that's what you're looking for. And one of our spotters for that three mile shot, who's a, a former client, he, he made the comment partway through when we were having troubles figuring out what the wind was doing. He said, well, it's really a lot higher the uh where the bullet is being affected by the wind it's way higher than what mirage is showing so yonder mountain over there that's what we should be looking at to see what the mirage is doing way up on that because that is that's the height of the the wind that's having the most effect on the bullet so we wanted to have something that we had a little bit of a a gap between us a, a little bit of a, a dip or a valley between us and uh the target it needed to be safe. Uh, you know, we found several locations. There was a, a ranch in the middle of the state, but we were going to be shooting something like 300 yards uh, to the left of a house. And it would be completely safe because the bullets half a mile up in the sky. So it'd be very safe. There are a lot of shooting ranges that are right beside highways shooting, you know, 15 feet or not 15 feet, but a hundred feet from the, where hum other humans are. We thought, ah, eh, you know, the optics on that aren't very good. So finding a place that was completely safe and uh, that we could see that far. And then we needed, what we wanted was a solid dirt backstop that would, you know, so we could see impacts. Well, little did we know when we were at that stage that we weren't going to be able to see impacts. So it really didn't matter. Uh, we were looking for something sandy and dusty without vegetation because we didn't want the the bullet to land in a, a sagebrush route where it wouldn't show up the, the the impact. As it turned out, though, we could have been in a brushy area. It wouldn't have really mattered that much because we couldn't see the the impacts anyway. Um, and, and as it turned out, our hillside wasn't perfectly uh, flat for the shooter to look at. So there's some real challenges there but that was part of what lynn sherwood my wife and business partner um she kind of led the spotting team the forward spotting team and so she was able to set up a, a grid network um with tape on the ground and such so that the spotters could more easily to get an idea where the bullet had landed to direct the shooter for the next shot gotcha gotcha so yeah and and so you're not spotting the impacts, uh, you know, and and you're not doing any of this necessarily from the shooting position. You're talking about a forward team there and a grid network. So she essentially, you know, gridded it off into like quadrants. So like when you would relay that information back, people could be like, no, I guess what quadrant, you know, you guys think that bullet landed in? Yeah. And they were actually doing, and by the way, the reason we're being so open about this stuff and I'll just, we'll tell you all of our systems is because we want somebody to beat us. Like this is really fun stuff. This isn't like the, well, it's a different personality type, but, and I'll go on a little 
go off on a tangent here a little bit, but there are the paper shooters who I respect so much for shooting five inch groups at a thousand yards. I can't do that. Like there, I, I'm not that good and I don't have the attention span to enjoy punching holes in paper. Some people are really good at that. And I have so much respect for them. I've learned so much from them. For me, what my joy is, is going out on an ATVs with a couple of friends, seeing a rock on a hillside 1,300 yards away, shooting 60 shots, and finally one of them hits, and we all high-five, and we've had a great afternoon. Like, that's what shooting is. That's the fun for me. So that was, this shot is not a, you know, mechanically, scientifically replicable thing. And so the typical shooting of this type, you're looking for a dust signature that is, three feet to the left of the left edge of the target. And then either the shooter sees it or the spotter sees it and says, ah, on your next one, I would aim this many minutes, or if you're using the mill system, uh, that many mills to the, to the right or left or up or down. And so in our system, our spotting had to be with a different sense. Well, we knew we couldn't use touch or, or uh, smell. So we thought, well, other than visual sense of seeing that dust kicking up, what else can we use? And Lynn, believed pretty strongly that we could make audio work. And so doing this audible spotting was hearing the thud and then determining where it was in relationship to the target. So her grid network was, uh, she was 20 yards um, on the shooter's side of the target in a steel bunker. And then she had another spotter to her right and left that were 10 yards on the shooter's side of the target and 20 yards to the right and left. And then one person, Scott's brother, uh, who was 20 yards beyond the target uh, in a straight line with the bullet path of the bullet. And then a another spotter that was before Lynn directly under the path of the bullet um, that was about, I think, 70, 80 yards before the target. So a bullet would land and the spotting team would communicate with each other, these forward spotters, and they would say, yeah, it sounded like it was 20 yards right and 10 yards back. And then somebody else would say, yeah, I don't think it was 10 yards back. It was only five yards back. So they would hash it out and then radio back to the shooting location with what their consensus was about where that shot had landed. Then shooter takes another shot. And this created a challenge because it would take them five or 10 seconds to decide where the bullet had landed to give us the best idea, that is on top of a 24 and a half second flight time of the bullet. So usually we like to shoot in a season of wind because you can get several shots off right in a row. And, and you know, the, the impact is, the dust impact is showing you way better than any of your fancy electronics can, what exactly is, is happening. Well, we didn't have that luxury. It was about a minute or two minutes between each shot. Um, so that was my long diatribe about how the kind of the forward spotting grid work went. Well, I'm glad with the sport with the forward spotting team, um, you went with uh, sound instead of touch. Uh, and that was going to be <laughs> my my next question was going to be like, well, how did you avoid you know the touch component? And so like, yeah, the steel bunkers makes makes a lot of sense there. And uh, you know, and that is so crazy. Like you said, it's hard to be. I mean, it's just hard to be repeatable with a long-range shot in general because, like, conditions are never exactly the same. But you guys are dealing with conditions that, you know, are so variable as far as like how high that bullet is going, how long it's traveling. Like, like you said, you know, you're not just uh, you know, bang, 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 you know, firing between a tight window. Like, they're trying to decipher where where the bullet hit, relaying that information. And then like, how long does it even to, to do the calculations? Like, you know, once a, you know, the team comes up with a consensus, yeah, it was, uh, you know, uh, 10 yards low and uh, 10 to the right, we'll say, whatever. You know, then the person on the rifle, I mean, you guys have to do the math to be like, okay, well, at 4.4 miles, what is that? Yeah. <laughs> well, this was the challenging part that I would say out of, multiple attempts to find the perfect location you know we found a place that was like talcum powder and we're like well this is for sure going to show us dust signature and again it did not work and uh, what we finally realized was is the bullet was penciling in i kind of liken it to a diver getting a perfect 10 score 
Um, there's zero splash that comes off of that diver. And that's exactly what we were experiencing with the bullet impacts. They were penciling in to the angle of the, the side of the hill, just no splash. So Lynn works up this grid pattern and we end up getting a sheet which shows a grid just like she's looking at. And the challenge was that normally when you're shooting at distance, your spotter is able to take a measurement from the center of your target to the center of your impact and walk you into that target, correct? Well, here's the problem. At that distance, your bullet's coming in at a 48 degree angle. And instead of looking at it horizontally, you have to be looking at it from like space down on it and measure the distance of the impact or the guessed distance of the impact to the center of the target. And for every 10 yards, to the target that equals three minutes of angle adjustment on our end with the shooter. So the last shot where he actually impacted the target up until that point, our bullets were trending low. Every shot we would end up 30 yards low, which makes no sense. As the barrel heats, it should be rising and going up. Well, it's all going down. We're like, okay, let's see what we can do with this. So every time we would adjust nine minute of angle for that 30 yards and it would be 30 yards low again. So the last call was let's double that and let's go to 18 yards. And that was the call that allowed it to, to end up on target. So, you know, there, there was no, it's only one minute left, one minute, right. These were gross adjustments. And there were so many things that were, were not what they should have been. The yeah. wind was roughly, what was it, six or eight-ish miles an hour right to left, Scott? Do you recall? It it would have been, yeah, between six and nine, basically. Okay. And so it was coming right to left. Spin drift, we would think that that would take the bullet way to the right as well. And so we're thinking what the wind is doing, but our shots are landing opposite of what all of the science told us that we needed to do or, or all of the, the background work that we knew. If the wind is blowing right to left, well, bullet's going to land left. Spin drift is going to take it a little bit to the right. But even once we, Scott, figured it all out and had the bullet spinning really close to target, it still just doesn't make sense. And there were many parts of this, the barrel as it heated, of course, ours didn't heat that much. We used a structured barrel, um, another TACCOM HQ invention or something that they made. Um, and so that kept the barrel relatively cool, which helped us. But there were so many things that were just, well, wait a minute, we've always been taught differently, but then nobody's ever done this before. So you can't really go get the manual on the next person can't on how to break the record at 4.5 miles. Well, we haven't done it. Nobody else has. So you just have to take these surprises and trust what's actually happening at the impact point. Yeah. I mean, I've just like talking to uh, other long range shooters who are way, 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 way more into it than I am. But that's one thing that, that stuck with me was trust the impact. You know, like you can be feeling the wind where you're at, you can be doing this and I've been guilty of it. I'm like, you know, you get three impacts in the same spot and you're like, okay, well, the, the definition of insanity is doing the, you know, the same thing yeah. over and over and, and expecting a, a different result. And I'm like, yeah, if I'd have just trusted the impact, made a correction, I probably would have had the impact that I wanted, you know? So I can see, I can see how, you know, with what you guys are dealing with there, but it is curious. Did you ever kind of figure out why that was happening or did you just have to be like, nope, this is what's happening and we're going to go off the information that we have right now? We did not. And the only thing I can assume is that we can't comprehend what's going on 2,500 feet above our line of sight. And that's the big variable. That's the big game changer. I mean, s simple things such as, you know, your, your uh, standard deviation from shot to shot. One mile per hour is the difference of 32 inches at that difference. One mile per hour of wind equals 26 feet at that distance. So those types of things are just huge. In fact, you know, I have a number of people that will ask me, you know, what was the Coriolis effect on, on that? And I, I basically took a quote from Brian Litz, who said, you know, at that kind of distance, it's kind of lost in the weeds. It's, it's not that important. There's so much other things going on. We did account for spin drift, but that really only equaled 93 inches. Well, where our impacts were 93 inches means nothing. 
Yeah, I mean, and you brought it's just a staggering figure when you think about it that that bullet at one point is twenty five hundred feet above your line of sight. Like that's just like it's hard, it's difficult to fathom, yeah. really. Um, and like you said, I mean, the the air, the wind, it can be doing all sorts of things up there. It's a different temperature up there. I mean, you think about how even just, you know, tw- you know, 2,500 feet would affect, you know, if you're making a dope car to, you know, for even like a thousand yards and in, like that's going to have an impact at, at that distance, you know, the, just for the, sure. ele- the elevation, sure. you know, how thin, how thin the air is up that, you know, what's the, uh, dude, there's just like, that bullet is going through a lot of different environments on the way there. And that's exactly how I think about it. I think about it as we think about a cubic foot or a cubic yard. Well, every cubic yard in the world has somewhat different environmentals. No two cubic yards are exactly the same temperature, humidity, wind direction, wind speed, uplift, all those those environmentals, barometric pressure. No two are the same. Well, we had to go through 7,700 of those cubic yards and... The bullet flight time, by the, get, by the time it gets to, let's say, 20 seconds of its flight time, even if we could somehow know that cubic yard at 2,000 feet in the air, well, it's not the cubic yard when we shoot. It's the one that is coming with the wind and will arrive there in that am- amount of time. And so it, it is almost, well, at this point, it's not almost impossible. It is impossible at this point to be measured. And hopefully will people will work on it. But if I look at how well the uh, meteorologists <laughs> have done on perfecting their predictions, I'm, I'm not real hopeful. But uh, hopefully at some point we can say, well, that particular cubic yard right there that is 6,000 yards away in 20 seconds, this is what the environmentals will be within that cubic yard. That would be neat, but so far, uh, no dice. I'm not going to hold my breath, guys. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> at least not yet. The target itself, like I kind of like, just like I said, just like it really puts things in perspective. Like how how big was the actual target that you were shooting at? And then you guys did have a bullseye on the target. So like, how big was the target? How big was the bullseye? And then like, what would you, what you know to put it in terms of things that people can like, I guess, you know, uh, think about or, or at least, you know, paint a clear picture, like relatively like to how big that target was like, what would that be at a hundred yards? Okay. So a minute of angle and, and for those watching who are just getting into this exciting sport, when we say minute of angle or MOA, we're talking about a, an angular measurement. And from where you're standing, if you look out about a hundred yards, it is about one inch. If you look out 200 yards, it is two inches. And these are rough numbers, but that's about what it is. So if you look out a thousand yards, it's 10 inches. When you look out at the distance of 4.4 miles, it's about 80 inches. So shooting an 80 inch target at 4.4 miles would be equivalent to shooting a one inch target at hundred yards. So we made the target a little bit bigger than a minute. It was uh, eight feet high, just a little bit less because I had a two by four in the middle to brace it. Um, so just a little under eight feet high and 10 feet wide. And then we thought just kind of as an afterthought, well, let's put a little orange dot in the middle. So I, I radioed and asked, hey, we just spray paint a, a orange dot in the middle about the size of a head. And so so they did about a you know, seven, eight inch circle, um, spray painted that in the center. That is equivalent to a pinhead at 100 yards. And somehow that bullet hooked us up and landed <laughs> a three and an eighth inch from dead center of that orange bullseye. And there is no way that we could do that. You, know, you give us give us 10 more shots and see if we can do it. <laughs> Absolutely not. I mean, that was very fortunate. We would have been thrilled to get a one and a quarter MOA hit, much less a one MOA, much less a whatever that was, a 10th or a 100th or whatever of an MOA. Um, we were very fortunate to get, to get that one. The actual target, I just used galvanized real thin gauge sheet metal so the bullet went right through it wasn't going to stop it Um, we didn't really care about terminal ballistics we just cared about the external or exterior ballistics so yeah that was the target and uh it just hit the right spot that was uh 
we were we were a little bit excited almost couldn't believe that wait it didn't land three feet from the center it landed right in the center no but it did that is <laughs> i mean i think that's you know that's just something that you say casually they're like yeah i mean uh, what's your gun shoot oh it's uh it's 10th uh 10th moa at 4.4 miles <laughs> <laughs> like oh yeah that's pretty good that'll work <laughs> yeah and, and some people have asked us well did you shoot again i want to see that repeated i want you to hit three shots in a row uh, no, we didn't. We put the gun. <laughs> we didn't put the gun down and walk away. We put the gun down and strutted away. Like we're not trying that again. That that is not going to happen again in, in in another hundred shots or two hundred or a thousand shots. Getting that little bullseye, um, and that is actually something that Scott and I have argued about. He's much more optimistic than I am about the repeatability of this. And and of course, what we did was an exhibition shot. This is not something that you know you're going to hunt like i hope everybody hunts within 300 maybe 400 yards uh this is just simply for going out and having fun and just as robert robert uh, was it bannister or barrister or roger whoever it was who broke the four mile record uh four minute mile the first time well no he probably couldn't have gone out the next day and beat it again it was just that first guy to you know set that particular record and so by no means are we saying that Hitting three inches from the center of a bullseye at 4.4 miles is something that you can, uh, you know, bet us a beer on and we're going to go out and accomplish tomorrow. It's a, it's a nice <laughs> little feather in the cap, though. It's a nice little feather yeah, in the yeah. cap, though. What, you know, getting back to, you know, and you're like the repeatability. I mean, really, that comes down to those environmentals, which are just like you said, it's like ever changing. Like, how did you pick the day? Like, because when you're talking about the day, you're, you know, like eight miles an hour of wind. I'm like, that's a significant amount of wind particularly at that distance or is that is that about the least of wind that you guys get in the state of wyoming is that like is that like a zero wind day Uh, yeah almost it was kind of just what worked for everyone's schedules because you know having a five person forward spotting team a three person shooting team to get eight people's schedules to all line up to do this if we had gotten out to the shooting location we did it early morning because that's the usually the least wind but if we had arrived and it had been frankly, any more than it was, uh, we would have probably just had to call it a day and go have lunch. Um, it, it just would have been hardly possible. So yeah, it was just picking a day that we hoped the wind would be low and we got fortunate. It wasn't any higher than it was. And I, it would hopefully, you know, it would have been a little bit easier if it had been absolute zero wind or one or two miles an hour. Uh, fortunately, it wasn't an absolute headwind or tailwind. Um, it was coming at about half value from the right. And then it, by the end, it switched around to being almost uh, a tailwind, if I recall correctly. Um, so it, it was variable at times, but usually stayed within those two or three mile an hour uh similarness of speed yeah for sure for sure gosh that is like i mean it's just so crazy scott at what point or do you know at what point in the bolt's path did it become transonic and then what is happening to the bullet then and then how are you trying to account for that okay as far as uh, i'm gonna have to look up on my dope sheet if you give me just a second on that um, and I could tell you, I don't have that one off the top of my head. Let's see here. And I think the bullet started out, I'm just fil- doing a filler here while Scott's looking. I think the bullet started out at about 3,300 feet per second. Yes. And yes. when it landed, it was just a high 600s, I believe. Uh, so that's the yep. the speed difference. I mean, that is, I mean, that is cooking for a bullet, you know, for a 420 grain or four, was it 422? Was that how... What was the bullet yes, weight? And the yeah, recoil, 422. I, I've never shot the rifle, but from what I understand, the recoil is less than a 243 because of that heavy structured barrel and the muzzle brake, uh, the Terminator muzzle brake out of New Zealand. And I just putting all that together, it was very comfortable. You could have shot it another hundred shots. How much how much does the rifle weigh all together with all it's pretty close to 70 pounds? Oh my god. Yeah. It's not a lightweight by any stretch of the imagination. Okay, so we're looking at about 3,500 yards is when it goes transonic. 3,500. And then how many in yards, how, how much further did it have to go after that? Well, that's at 3,500, so you've got 7,700 basically. So that's, I'm uh, from Tennessee. 30... Let me do this. I'm from Tennessee. Let me do the math. <laughs> Another 4,200 yards, I think. There you go. <laughs> Unbelievable. 
Like, that is just so absolutely crazy. I mean, just the just everything everything that's at play here is just like, nice work, guys, because it's really, I mean, the impact is just absolutely astounding. What, what when you guys, so sounds like it was the 69th shot, which is, to me, seems like a pretty low number of shots to do what you guys were trying to do. Coincidentally, (laughs) (laughs) coincidentally, the previous record, which I think was the same, uh, a closer distance, but on that shot. So I don't know if there's something going on there, but um, (laughs) maybe sheer coincidence. Uh, I find it odd. And then what about the mood? Like, what was the mood? Like a lot of work, a lot of time, a lot of effort went into this. Like when, when somebody said you have an impact, like, what was the collective vibe at that point? I would say unbelief. I have to talk a little bit about Shep here, but about 15 shots into that morning, Shep's jaw was about on his toes because he was like, this might actually happen today. We had pretty consistent wins at the beginning. And I was more of a, I'm thinking a one in 200 shot-ish, one in 100 shot-ish. I think, Shep, you were thinking one in 100,000 initially was your, <laughs> was your guess. And uh, I think it was absolute unbelief. And initially, the impact struck what we thought was the top of Lynn's wife's uh, bunker. And she said, you know, I have a, the first bunker strike. Well, that was not the case. It was actually striking the target. And so Shep said something along the lines of, are you hitting on my wife? Said this to the shooter. (laughs) And uh, then she's like, oh, wait, wait, you know, uh, I I think we have our first impact. And of course, that was the case. And now we're waiting to get confirmation. And I think it was probably a good, you know, it seemed like five minutes in my mind, Shep, you can kind of confirm this. It was a long time. So we're going through all the, well, you know, since they're taking this long, there's definitely not a hit. They would have known that right away. Well, what ended up happening is, is there was a hit right in the center and they're having a party on the other side of this range <laughs> and they forgot about us. They're holding out <laughs> on you. Hello. <laughs> and finally, when we get the confirmation, you know, it was the hugs, the high fives and probably 15 minutes of just kind of staring out there going, wow, it finally happened. And I think both Shep and I would agree, you know, there were points in the process of getting here that we're like, we're done. This isn't going to work. We're so frustrated. And so we went from extreme lows to this extreme high. And then uh, our shooter, you know, I think Shep said, would you like to shoot it one more time? And he's like, no, I wouldn't. I really wouldn't. (laughs) He's like, I'm done. You know, it's not going to happen in this, you know, I'm not going to follow it up with another shot on that target. And that was just reality. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's always nice to leave, leave on a good one, whether they're at the rifle range or you're shooting your bow, it just, it leaves you in a better mental space, you know, and you don't, sometimes you don't want to tarnish that, especially on a big one, a big one like that. Um, Yeah. So cool. You know, and, and and one of the things that I love and, and, and Shepard, you kind of mentioned this earlier, like this was for fun, you know, like, you know, there's a lot of long range shooting and competitive long range shooting and, and things they all have their place, right? And and you can get different things out of each discipline and how you, how you're engaging with it. But this one just seems like I like the purity of it. It's like a, a bunch of like-minded people. You're interested in shooting. You're getting together. You're enjoying the camaraderie component, and it's about having a good time. And uh, you know, like I said, testing limits are possible. So that's it's really cool. Like I just love the motivation behind it. Yeah. You know, it's also something that we were talking about world records at the beginning, like the longest fingernails or whatever, and it's one of those things that there can be a lot of world records for very similar things. So the first person to hit 10 shots in a row in less than a minute of angle at three miles, that will be a world record for that. The first 400 pound person who has all of that protein in their body to grow really long fingernails that are beyond a certain length, well, they have an advantage over the person who's only 120 pounds, perhaps, and less protein in their body to grow fingernails. So (laughs) this is certainly not, uh, there have been a lot of people who have been saying things like, 
you know, well, the, the king of the two miles shooters, they're way better shooters than you because they're getting repeated first round hits at two miles. Absolutely. Yep. We're not claiming yep. to be they the are. best shooters. Yeah, they're, they're awesome. Like more power to them. We've learned so much from them. And the people who beat us, I suspect, are going to come up with a better solution than we have for spotting the audio impacts. And there probably could be some electronics with some seismographic little components that somebody is going to beat us using those, I would suspect, or there are a couple other ideas we have, but uh, yeah, that's, that's likely to be the, the future of it is, is coming up with finding out where the impacts are. That's going to be one of the biggest things. Cause I think many people in the, this, who can shoot the furthest uh, arena agree that 5.5 ish miles is about as far as, It'll probably happen um, without getting into ridiculous one in a million shots. You know, I'm sure you can hit something beyond that. But I, I think that within five to 20 years, somebody will get a 5.5 mile hit. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if they'll go further than that. But yeah, like like you said, like with a, with a, a level of uh, predictability, you know, unless unless you guys, you know, uh, maybe go to go to missiles or something, you know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and I think that's what I love about too. It's like. Like you guys are like, well, you're not, you're not like beating your chest. Like we did it. We're the, you know, it's like, it's like, it's for fun, you know, like welcoming other people. Hey, you try it too. And I think that's just like really, just really admirable, you know, because uh, I just, I think it's thing. Like you guys are out there having a good time doing, doing really neat stuff. So, um, well, thank you for that, Mark. And th that's actually, we wrote a book, uh, a year ago, uh, about extreme long range shooting. And that's actually part of the title is for fun. I mean, that is for us what it's about. Uh, Scott is more of a science engineering kind of guy, but yeah, not for me. <laughs> <laughs> You're interested Too in the fun. You. <laughs> yeah. Let's finish this and go get a beer. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I picture. You know, they're like, oh my gosh, we did it. All right, let's everybody go have, maybe not a beer because maybe it's still morning. or But, uh, you know, let's go have <laughs> breakfast together and, you know, hang out and talk about it. And, uh, and uh, so let's, so at the end of, because just the numbers I find, so so the distance, you know, 4.4 miles, we've gone over that. The bullet was 2,500 feet above line of sight, and then at impact, its velocity, it started off at 33, you said? 3,300. And then at yeah, the 3, end, and then it finished at what velocity? Go ahead, Chip. It was high sixes? I don't know exactly. High sixes. Like 680-something, 680-some feet per second with about 450 foot-pounds of energy, and uh, which is about the same as a 9-millimeter is at point-blank range in terms of energy. And that's a whole other story in terms of uh, developing those bunkers and the testing that was done on that. There, there was uh, a Wildcat cartridge that was made to replicate what we're doing. That was the only way we could figure to do that. And we had a, a guy, uh, David Crandall, who's on the USA Palma team, worked as an engineer for INL and did a lot of testing for the Department of Defense and whatnot, um, and a lot of bulletproof testing. And he took a 458 SOCOM, um, put a 400 grain bullet in it, a 408 bullet, uh, same type of profile, and uh, put it in a Sabo and ran it at the same velocities that we were going to be impacting at to test it. And then we ran those velocities up to 1100 feet per second, just to ensure that we had a good buffer uh, so that, you know, we're not going to put any of our people in danger at all. I mean, I had a I had a brother that was 20 yards high and a son-in-law that was 48 yards low. And fortunately, I was getting along with both of them at the time. So I wasn't <laughs> making adjustments. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's it's uh, important to point out that safety was paramount in this Absolutely. process. And you guys put a ton of work into ensuring that everybody downrange was going to be 100% safe. It's not like you're like, hey, guys, this world record is really important. We're going to have some attrition. Uh, not all of us are going to make it out of this. It's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> like, uh, let's uh, let's have fun. Let's be, yeah, or excuse me, let's be safe. Let's have fun. Yeah, and absolutely. I, and I think that's also very important to point out, you know, if anybody's like listening to this and they're like, you know, inspired, like, oh, man, we should try something like that. 
do the pre-work. You got to do the pre-work. So, Absolutely. And and I guess and and, reach out to us. We'll tell us about all, all the mistakes we made. Like we're more than yeah. happy to help the person who beats us to anybody has any questions. Like we're looking forward to that happening. And we use, for example, we use three sixteenths inch mild uh, a 26 steel for the bunkers. If it's a heavier bullet or a lighter, like we're not going to guarantee that that will work, but it would really, we would feel kind of badly if we said that everything was proprietary and someone went out and got one sixteenth inch steel and, uh, you know, lost a few spotters. Um, so by all means, especially the safety stuff, if anybody is uh, serious about doing this, uh, you know, just like we rely on farmers and ranchers uh, who say, oh, hey, we've got a bunch of big space out here. Come and shoot on it. You can't do it while we're harvesting or if they know enough about long range shooting, then they say, okay, if we're just harvesting in the middle portion, yeah, feel free to shoot over our heads in your, your practice. Uh, but we rely on these large landowners letting us use their land. And so we kind of want to pay that forward and say, anyone who wants to get into this sport or, or try your hand at who's who can make the longest shot with a 223 Remington? Um, how about out of a gas platform instead of a bolt? Uh, anything like that, that we can kind of chip in and help with we're we're all about speaking of which while we were taking breaks and scott was adjusting the charlie Tarek, um we got the furthest tip with our 223 um same shooter we were just plinking and i think it was 1370 yards he got a hit with a 223 which that's pretty cool like that's not usually yeah. where you shoot 223s so no. anything like that it's just fun and we're happy to pass it on I love it. I love it. Like you said, you know, it took a big team, you know, just to do this shot that you guys did. But, you know, you're learning from from other people. And then, you know, that's the beauty of it. You know, when we can share this knowledge, like everybody can, you know, glean something from somebody else and collectively go out there and, like I said, be safe, have some fun. So, gentlemen, congrats again. Super cool. Thanks again Thank you. for choosing Vortex. Like, it's awesome that we could be a part of it. And absolutely uh, appreciate you, you know, making the time to, to, to chat with me today. And other than that, have fun. Be safe. Good luck. Shoot straight. That's all I got. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for the great glass. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. Hopefully you enjoyed uh, hearing these guys uh, chat about this shot and everything that went to it. If you have any questions on ELR shooting, let us know that as well. These guys might be able to help out. And uh, yeah, if you, if you uh, get, uh, get a hankering, Heck, maybe go out even shoot with these guys. So, uh, where real quick, guys, where where can they find you? Where can they find if they want to find out more about what you guys have to offer? Nomadrifleman.com. Uh, that's our our niche uh, shooting experience, extreme long range shooting business. Um, or a little bit lower price point is our book on Amazon, uh, a guide to extreme long range shooting for fun. Um, so, Nomad Rifleman would be the way to be in touch with us, though. Awesome, awesome. All right, Nomad Rifleman, check them out. And until next time. We'll catch you on the next one. All right. That'll wrap it up for this episode of the Vortex Nation podcast. Thanks, everybody, for listening. If you like what you hear, hit that subscribe button, give us a review, or leave a comment. We want to hear what you have to say. If you have a question or topic suggestion, let us know that as well via the Vortex Nation podcast YouTube page or any of Vortex's social platforms. That helps us cover exactly what you want to hear so we can provide the best information to help you with your hunting, shooting, and related activities and ultimately enjoy them to their fullest potential. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you on the next one.